get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome, everybody. TSN Hockey Analytics. TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Give us a follow on Twitter as well, at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. You can also watch live right now on Twitch TV. Just go to twitch.tv slash AndyMacLive, twitch.tv slash AndyMacLive. Chat with us there. Give us a follow, subscribe. Lots of great interaction on today's show. In just a moment, it'll be Travis Yost from tsn.ca. Go over the storylines as round two, Sons Maple Leafs has started up, and we're getting into that. Gus Katsaros from Roto World and McKean's Hockey. We'll go over the Leafs' postseason end-of-year press conferences from Dubis, from Babcock. What has to be done, we'll dive into that with Gus. We'll hear audio from them as well. And then some very interesting fantasy implications for round two and into next year, including some William Nylander talk from James Harding, NHL.com fantasy hockey writer. And folks, as you know, we're delivered by Domino's. The weather sucks outside, so don't. Don't go to the grocery store. Just get delivery. Go to dominoes.ca. Get a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. Great carryout specials, too. Check it all out at dominoes.ca. But let's bring in my guy. And as I understand, he was pretty happy with the Buffalo Bills NFL draft to this point. Travis Yost from tsn.ca. Travis, how are you? Andy, fact check me if I'm wrong, but Ed Oliver in the first round, I feel like that's a, I feel like he could be one of the biggest difference makers in the entire draft. Oh, Travis, 100%. That's a top five talent. You get him at nine. I absolutely loved it. I was hosting the NFL Canada draft party downtown on Thursday, and I, I, I said it right there. There's Bills Mafia. I said you guys, you guys just were co-winners of the draft. I think with Washington, like that was that was a great pickup. So yeah, Bills Mafia, pretty exciting. Excellent stuff. Yeah, and even the second and third round picks get a first round pick. I, this is, as we know, a TSN football analytics, but I, I love, <laughs> I said this is one of my favorite Bills drafts in a long, long time. Absolutely. Well, you know what, Travis? We're going to um, have into May some off-season TSN four-down stuff. So, I'll, you know what? After, we'll, we'll get you on there to talk a little Bills as well. We'll uh, A little Bills, a little CFL. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into it, but let's get into this. And I want to start you off with your own Twitter poll question. We like, we like quizzing you on your own poll questions, at Travis Yost. And... You put out there to your followers, which remaining playoff series is the best one? And almost 4,000 votes on your poll. Your followers deemed San Jose and Colorado series as the best one left. Which series has attracted you most in the second round? Uh, from, from an excitement and possibly even from a talent perspective, too. I think the San Jose-Colorado series is the most interesting. So I'm inclined to agree with the readers. Um, I... I... The, the, the other series have different nuance, different wrinkles within those series. Like I think Dallas and St. Louis have as much talent as that San Jose series. It's pretty, it's pretty close. Uh, but the, the stylistic, uh, the way both of those teams play, the, the Blues like to play low, low, te- uh, you know, lower tempo, lower scoring model games. They're, they're pretty strong defensively. They own the puck, but aren't a great shooting team offensively. Um, Dallas is still a relatively speaking top heavy team with a really, really good goaltender and. Look, the Stars have a fantastic team, too, but there, there's a lot of just random shifts intermixed in that series, and we saw a little bit of it in Game 1, um, and really outside of Vladimir Tarasenko going off in Game 1. I thought the, the first game was okay. Um, but, you know, I think the most fascinating thing about the second round is who would have ever guessed these are the four matchups we would have got, right? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. think, there's, I don't think there's a single series. I guess Dallas-St. Louis 
would have been the only one that maybe some people would have gotten to in the second round. Like I, I think, I think most people probably had Calgary. I think more sure. than fifty percent had Vegas. Um, no one had Tampa Bay out. Uh, <laughs> it maybe Carolina, Washington felt like a little bit more of a coin flip, but I don't know how many people had the Islanders over the Penguins either. So I, again, a lot of interesting series, especially because a lot of these teams. Um, really haven't seen the second round in quite some time. So, uh, you know, the, the road is wide open. Um, I, I think the, the most interesting question now is who's really the, the cup favorite. I think early early reforecast would be Boston-San Jose, which right. would be the uh, Joe, Joe Thornton revenge series. But, again, it's we're early in round two here, and we we still got to see what happens. Yeah, the, the, I like that. And, and, hey, you know, in this market, it's going to be just cheering for whoever Boston is playing to, to, get, to get them Pretty out. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Travis, the story of the first round, uh, as you mentioned, about uh, in the NHL playoffs, all about upsets. Nobody had these upsets coming, and every single division winner was eliminated in the first round. So looking at round two as a whole, and using, let's say, a March Madness phrase here, do you expect it to be all chalk from here on out? As in, we expect what's supposed to happen to happen, or are you anticipating any other upsets and and you know what travis like looking at it, i don't even know how many actual true upsets there are left here <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's exactly what i was going to say back to you right so like yeah. let's take the islanders hurricane series i com- was completely wrong in the first round to pick pittsburgh mostly because not that i liked pittsburgh but i really didn't like the islanders team. um and they rolled up pittsburgh and i was like a dummy and that that tends to happen from time to time <laughs> uh, but i still think i still think carolina is the better team in that series too i, I carolina and, and not only not only has Carolina looked great, I mean, they just took care of the Stanley, defending Stanley Cup champs. So they, they, there is now a feather in their cap, too. So, again, like Carolina would theoretically be the underdog in that series because they are the road team. But already they're up 1-0 in the series and have flipped home ice, right? Uh, I, do think Columbus, I do think Columbus would be an upset. I, I know people were captivated by them beating Tampa Bay, and I mean beating up on Tampa Bay. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That wasn't just a lucky 4-0 sweep. It's hard to call any 4-0 sweep lucky. I mean, they completely blew the doors off Tampa Bay, especially at 5-on-5, five five, um, outchanced them almost 2-1 to one in that series. Um, but even still, we're talking about a very small sample relative to a Columbus team that's pretty good, um, but maybe not nearly as good as a Boston team that we all think was probably the second or third best team in the league this year. Um, so Columbus would be a bona fide upset. I, I think maybe Colorado would, would fall in that boat too, but I, really those are the two underdogs left, right? It's Colorado. And it's definitely Columbus. Outside of that, I think any other team is either a coin flip or a favorite in the series. Um, which, which again, like you ask me, like what, what does the road look like? Well, I think the road goes through Boston and San Jose. I, like, it, I think you can make the argument that San Jose um, and Boston both uh, took care of their hardest matchups in round one, right? Yeah. Uh, like going from Vegas to Colorado or going from Toronto to Columbus. Um, should be stepped down, relatively speaking. Um, but, again, if, if, if round two plays out like round one, we're going to be uh, doing this show next week, and I'm going to be saying, <laughs> I have no idea how hockey plays. Or, or who, <laughs> who is ever going to win any of these games? Well, that's the thing, Travis, because when you have so many upsets, you kind of start just questioning yourself. You're like, well, I think this, but I thought that in the last... Now I don't know what's going to happen. It's it's crazy. But that's and here, it, Andy, it's kind of refreshing. Here, Andy, yeah, and Andy, one other point that I think... This is, this is a really under-noted storyline from round one. We're talking about ben, uh, Boston and San Jose as, generally speaking, the, the, the favorites now remaining in their respective conferences. Their opponents, Toronto, one goal away. Vegas, one goal, in the, or not even one goal, just a brutal penalty call away mm-hmm. from this story being completely different. I mean, we could have been yeah. sitting on this call right now 
saying Toronto and Vegas are your Stanley Cup favorites, not Boston and San Jose. And one, two game sevens, both played on the same day, completely 180 bets. In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost, the Arizona Cardinals' first pick is in for the fourth round. Let's see how they screw this up, Travis. Um, anyway, we'll, <laughs> well, we'll keep an eye on that through the show. <laughs> but uh, I want to get to this with you. A big controversy of the week, Cody Eakins' five-minute major, and you said that call, right? For apparently cross-checking Joe Pavelski in the third period of Game 7 between the Sharks and the Golden Knights. So the five-minute power play aided San Jose's miraculous three-goal comeback and eventual series win. So obviously there was an error made on this penalty. Reports have now come out that the NHL has apologized to Vegas for the officiating error. If we make a bit of a comparable to this to the NFL, where we saw the, the league apologize to the Saints on that blatant non-call versus the Rams... Do you see a rule change happening? Because that's what happened in the NFL. They apologized, and then it forced a rule change. Do we see something, I'm not sure what, but something changing with the, NFL, with the NHL here? Um, I, I certainly think it's following the exact same storyline. So you, you hit the major notes there, but another point of emphasis here, the, the officiating team that worked that game, uh, back, uh, that Rams game, I do not believe proceeded through the rest of the NFL playoffs. And it, mm. the idea is officiating right. is rewarded the same way teams are. So the idea is your best officiating teams, and I think they stand in the NHL. They make twenty or twenty-five grand um, per incremental series. So there's oh. a huge uh, financial incentive to do a really good job. Um, the team that worked the Vegas San Jose series, who had I believe either went all the way to the conference finals of the Stanley Cups over the last seven, eight, nine, ten years, one of the best, most reliable teams for the, the NHL has. They're out. They're done. Um, that's Furlat. There's, there's, there's three or four different officials there. Um, that that are completely now out of the playoff picture, and I, I don't think it's a disciplinary action, but it is a, hey, you guys really spit the bit on this one, and we're going to have to park you now. So if you think about it from that perspective, you had a egregious call, the league apologizing, the officials. I, I don't want to say the word reprimanded, but effectively that's what they were. They were reprimanded, and now an owner calling for, hey, we should take a look this summer at instituting a rule. Um, to review major penalties. So basically you've checked every single box except for the league signing off on that. Um, I, I gotta be honest. I don't, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm a supporter of penalty review. I, I think it can open up a big can of worms just like the off, you know, everyone thought the offsides review was gonna be great for the league. And now it's gotten down to measuring to the millimeter whether a guy's skate blade is over, over the line or not. I, I don't think that's the spirit of the, of the purpose of the rule. I did see an interesting idea. It was not mine. I can't remember who floated it out there, um, but kind of in parallel with what um, Vegas' ownership team is asking for. Instead of saying, hey, let's just react and now institute a review, a review process for major penalties, what if that supersedes or replaces um, the offsides review? I don't know anyone that likes the offsides review. Uh, it, it, it's getting to a point where it's, it's just minutia at this point. And, you know, goaltender interference, I think, is going to stick because no one still, including anyone in the league, knows what goaltender interference really is. Um, so what if you replace the offsides reviews with major penalty reviews? Uh, not only, I think, would it speed up the game because you're going to have way more offsides, you know, review, uh, reviews over a given season than major penalty reviews. But major penalty reviews are way, way, way more penalizing um, or, or advantageous if they occur in support of your team. And I think the spirit of that rule lends itself to, hey, we want to make sure that we do get this right. I mean, the NBA, so we, you know, a lot of people talk about the NFL getting pass interference right, especially because it's a spot foul. Same thing is true in the NBA, right? I mean, flagrant two fouls, um, I believe all flagrant fouls, are reviewed because not only, not only is it automatic free throws for the other team and, and in some cases possession, 
um, player can be thrown out of the game. So I, it seems like other leagues have realized, um, hey, look, when something is really penalizing or really sharp in a limited scale, we really want to double and triple check and make sure we got it right. There's no doubt in my mind if they had this, this review process in place for this Vegas series, they, it probably would have been a two-minute minor, um, and, and that probably would have been the right call. Yeah, uh, in conversation with Travis Yost, tsn.ca writer, does a terrific job there on Twitter at Travis Yost. Travis, want to kind of wrap it up on this point. We know when something goes wrong, it's uh, the easiest thing to do to uh, point fingers, to, to, to blame people, to find somebody to ring the Game of Thrones shame bell and just, just be done with it. So for this Leaf season, we heard from Mike Babcock. We're going to hear that audio a little bit later. Sounded like he was passing the buck. Kyle Dubas, did he do enough? Was it the players? Who do you blame for that series loss to Boston and maybe just overall the Game 7? Because I'll tell you this. What's most perplexing to me is with Mike Babcock, you have four minutes left and you have Austin Matthews with one shift? That seems like you were being outcoached and something weird's going on. What do you think? I I think it falls on Babcock and I think it falls on the players. I I really do. And I I think it's important to draw distinctions where we can. I, I did not like Mike Babcock's usage. I think we talked about it earlier in the week. Um, I, I certainly mentioned it in real time that, that rolling four lines in a third period in a game seven really seemed suboptimal, especially knowing that Stars can, can really shoulder more of those minutes. We saw it in the Colorado series, most notably with Nathan, Nathan McKinnon in, the, in that Cal- Calgary first round. Um, but but let's, this is another point I want to make very, very uh, carefully but, but accurately. Toronto's star players, by and large, were outplayed by Boston star players. And you can, you can make the argument, like John Tavares, I thought, had a phenomenal series. And then it starts to kind of drop off, right? I don't think Mitch Marner was as effective as he had been in the regular season. I don't think William Nylander had a particularly great series, even though he actually ended up outscoring Boston when he was on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. I don't think Austin Matthews had a particularly great series. Um, I, you know, Jake Gardner, of course, had a brutal Game 7 so, you know, the core players, the guys who are really have moved the needle and, and, are, and really deserve um, the way they've been compensated, and the guys who have made Toronto a legitimate, credible playoff team, uh, they didn't have a great series. And at the end of the day, you know, some of, that need, some of that blame needs to be apportioned to the Maple Leaf side, and the usage stuff, some of that needs to be apportioned to the coaching staff. So, I, again, I, I, you know, we, we tend to do this. I'm as guilty as anyone. We find one or two individuals and say they specifically are to blame, but the reality is... Toronto was not the better team in that series, and uh, it, and it showed after seven games. It sure did. Well, Travis, thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend, the NHL games, and the NFL draft. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, take care. Okay, there he is, Travis Yost, TSN.ca. Got to follow him on Twitter. Not just hockey, football, weird food takes. Great follow on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Another great follow on Twitter, Gus Katsaros from Roto World, from McKean's Hockey, their analyst. We will dive deep into the Maple Leafs. Season wrap-up. What went wrong? Why? Who are we blaming? And what is next? Leaf Talk coming up. TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050. If you're hungry, check out this great deal from Domino's. Unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. That's right. As many pizzas as you want with a minimum purchase of two pizzas. So stock up, dig in, and feed that hunger with unlimited two-topping medium pizzas. Perfect for the big game, a busy night with the family, or just because. Order online today at dominoes.ca and add on some great side dishes and dessert. That's dominoes.ca. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. 
This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back and going here on TSN Hockey Analytics. The TSN 1050 Toronto Studios. On Twitter at TSN Analytics, I'm Andy McNamara. You can find me on Twitter at AndyMCD1. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can watch live. Join the conversation on Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash Live. You can subscribe there, watch, chat, get in on it, see some behind-the-scenes stuff. Very cool stuff going on at Twitch. And by the way, folks, our Hockey Analytics Insider brought to you by 1in100. Win killer seats to any Toronto game for less than the cost of a pitcher of beer. Go to 1in100.net. That's 1in100.net. Check it out now. And our Hockey Analytics Insider is Gus Katsaros joining us on the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line. Uh, Gus, how's it going, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely, and we're going to keep rolling on the show. May 11 is going to be the Season 5 finale, so still a couple weeks uh, left after this one. Uh, but Gus, before we dive into the upcoming Maple Leafs offseason, let's review that Game 7. And we could we talked about it, man. We could all kind of feel it coming, right? We could all feel, and we weren't sure if it was nervous Toronto fans or if it was real. But this series ended like, well, like other series with the Bruins have ended in the past. What is your largest takeaway from that game? Because the one I feel, and that a lot of people are talking about, is why the heck did Mike Babcock not have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, the best offensive playmakers on the ice with the goalie polder in the last couple minutes of that game? It seemed bizarre. Well, I, I mean, coaching decisions are always sometimes a little scrupulous. You, you, you think that they would put um, the best players forward in a situation that really requires it, and um, there's, there might have been something on the bench we don't know about. Um, there might have been a shift issue that we don't know about. But, I mean, when you're down a goal, down two goals, you definitely want to have your best players and your best horses running. And, you know, some of those decisions are a little bit far. But, you know, that really isn't the big issue. To me, the Leafs really should have put it away in game six. They had the opportunity to do so. They didn't. So they let Boston up off the mat. Boston came back in game seven. And, uh, you know, it all really came down to special teams for me, and this is pretty much the, uh, throughout the entire series. Their five-on-five play at even strength, Toronto matched up with Boston, and Boston matched up with Toronto. It was a phenomenal match. Um, but special teams were, te- were terrible. These didn't score a power play goal since game four. Their penalty kill was, well, let's just say non-existent for the most part. Boston had led in score-adjusted shot shares in games two and decidedly in game six. Boston controlled the high danger shot share in games two, six, and seven. So whenever they were up against the ropes, they came out and they put out a better effort. That's what championship teams do. That's exactly what Toronto has to learn to be like in order to step to that next level. The fact that it happened against Boston is a kick in the butt because of the history, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, if it wasn't for some better special teams, the Leafs could have won that series. Yeah, and it came down to that penalty kill. So now we can... Parlay that, I guess, Gus, and um, we have uh, put out the question on twitch.tv slash Live. Who do you blame more? It, it seems everybody's going for Babs. Brett Cecil says, got to be Babs. He acted like he was restricted to framework and wasn't allowed to adjust, um, which I now go to, what do you do for next season? Because some people saying Babcock should be fired. I don't see that happening at all, at least until maybe at the end of next year if things don't go into an extended playoff run. But do you see some coaching adjustment? Because Babcock's to the point here, Gus. If he digs his heels in and is too stubborn, he's going to find himself out of a job. 
at some point. So uh, there's a lot of speculation based on this. And, you know, as soon as the game ended and with all the, um, obviously with the ill feelings right after the, the loss, I felt that his job is pretty secure. I still feel that he'll be back with as a coach of the Leafs next season. I'm not really too concerned about him not being back. Um, he will have to make some adjustments, but I think that somehow they have to figure out a little bit of whatever there might be a rift, if there is a rift between management and coaching. They need to just be on the same page and, and, and be synchronized. However, to my eye, what I feel that's happening with Mike Babcock right now is what actually has happened with Jake Gardner for the last eight years. Everybody's focusing on that third period of Game 7 and saying that's the reason he should be fired. Yet the Leafs were up until Game 7. They lost in Game 6. They were competitive enough to win. If it wasn't for some key special team situations, they potentially could have won this series. So it's not like he was outcoached. It's not like it was the same thing as last spring where Boston decidedly outcoached Babcock. He learned some lessons. The Leafs adapted, and we talked about this a lot, Andy. They needed to add a little bit of physicality and grip for a good playoff run, and they did that. So it showed that the players were able to adapt. So I think all the hubbub about Babcock losing his job is just overblown because more from emotion um, and that parallel to every time you see Jake Gardner make a mistake, you think, okay, that's it. You can't have enough of this. Right. And, and that parallel seems to exist just because of fandom. So when you take a step back and kind of look at the overall situation, he didn't really do a bad job spends except for some specific key moments where you can easily question that and what coach can you question for some specific key moments in any part of a series it's part of the game right and in conversation with Gus Katsaros uh, terrific analyst for Roto World and McKean's Hockey on Twitter at Cats Hockey Cats with a K so Gus that being said how would you grade this Maple Leaf season because all the hype all right you went out Got John Tavares in the offseason. The in-season deal for Jake Muzzin. Looked like, and the regular season results look like the pieces should be there. Could you have been better on defense? Sure. But there were much higher expectations, yet we have the same results. So from what you thought was or should have happened at the beginning of the year, and then after getting Muzzin, how do you grade this Leafs year overall? Well... I mean, it's not really a resounding success, but it's not an abject failure either. I mean, going into the season last year, you knew that they would be better with John Tavares. They removed some other key components as well. You can't just remove John, uh, John James Van Riemsdyk um, and Tyler Bozak and expect to replace them with just one player. They kind of simply did. Tavares was almost those two players rolled in one um, based on the partnership with, with Marner. Anyway, those two additions, Muzzin and Tavares, weren't supposed to be the key additions to make them into Stanley Cup contenders. To me, I thought that the Leafs would struggle um, at some point along the way to a championship, and this is the struggle. Their defense was clearly not good enough at the beginning of the season. They played a bit of a soft, predictable game for the majority of the season, but were able to really mask those issues with a really high-potent offense. Um, We saw that if their goaltending faltered, that they were kind of dead in the water. So all those issues that they kind of portrayed throughout the season, you kind of figured, okay, the Leafs are going to have some issues. Uh, towards the end of the season, as they faltered and goaltending faltered and everything like that, it seemed like the season was going to be an unmitigated disaster. Then they come out in the playoffs and they actually competed against one of the better teams in the league, took them to seven games and almost really should have won. Uh, you know, they squandered their opportunities. Um, so in some ways, I think that they just learned their lesson and, and, and what we saw 
was more an optics of this first round. The first round being so crazy and all the chaos and the upsets and all this stuff that it looks like all oh, the Leafs lost their chance. Well, if they become a true championship contending team, that all that chaos and randomness that happened in the first round is irrelevant because they would just be focusing on the way that they can be contending um, for a championship team and consistently contending. So I, I think that it wasn't exactly a good successful year, but it wasn't really as bad as most people might uh, tend it out to be simply because of the way that it played out against Boston Game 7, coaching decisions, blah, 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 all the way down the line. Yeah, and we got some grades coming in here, and you can vote and join the chat on Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash Andy Mac Live. Uh, Brett Cecil, B minus. Uh, Cash saying C minus, not impressed. Toronto Baghead going, open the series as a cup contender, spend the last half of the season going down in flames. That's a C minus or a D plus season. They regressed after getting Tavares ridiculous. Uh, Brett Cecil with a B minus. So it's something where next year, Gus, is going to be the big year as far as. If you don't, if this happens again, you got to really think of blowing this thing up. But let's let let's go to the um, off season comments now. We had the Dubas, we had the Babcock presser, and it felt like, and we'll get to the sound in the next segment here, Gus. But Babcock wasn't really accepting responsibility, kind of passing the buck, whereas Dubas was almost accepting too much for things he really didn't have any control of. What what did you think of the the off the the postseason press conference and wrap up to the year? Um and you mentioned they gotta start getting on that same page if there is some sort of ref for, for this team to be successful at all. Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons why I thought, again, right after Game 7, I thought Babcock was fine. There was no issues. I think that it was overblown. But then you kind of go into that presser and think, hmm, you know, there was no definitive kind of uh, direction by either management or coaching staff as to what, where they are um, as far as synchronization goes. Mike Babcock didn't necessarily take a lot of the blame, as he said. Kyle Dubas, you know, a true leader does that. He takes the bullet and he makes sure that his team is able to perform. Um, we've seen this time and time again, and and Dubas really um, is really showing those leadership qualities. That's exactly what you would expect uh, from the general manager of the club, regardless of whether it's true or not, or he's taking more of the blame or not. Um, but they really do need to talk. This isn't a situation that's isolated to that last season presser. It seems to have happened over the course of the season. Um, they seem to have privately joked about it. Mike Babcock has come out and made comments about, no, our relationship is good, but who's to say? As long as we kind of see the on-ice product um, following the vision that both those factions have, then uh, we could say that everybody's on the same page and they're working towards a common goal. Um, at this point, there potentially could be a rift. I think in the offseason, what we're going to end up seeing is a little bit of a roster change. There have to be some tough decisions made. There have to be some players that potentially Babcock won't, have, won't be able to have next year. The philosophy might change a little bit, so they just need to get synced over this offseason and make sure that they're both on the same page. Hit the ground running when, this, uh, when preseason starts. Going to be a fascinating offseason, and in recent memory, maybe the most important in this Maple Leafs franchise history in quite some time. Gus, thank you so much, buddy. Great work all season long. Always appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, the pleasure is always mine. Thank you very much, Andy. Have a good one. You too, buddy. There he goes. Gus Katsaros from Roto World, from McKean's Hockey. Great analyst there. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Cats Hockey Cats with a K. We talked about that audio. In case you missed it, we're going to listen to some of the highlights from Mike Babcock from Kyle Dubas and break it down after that. Some fantasy hockey talk for your DFS, if it's your DraftKings, if you're still in your fantasy league playoff pool, and some look ahead to some Maple Leafs that you might want to go for and avoid into next year's fantasy hockey draft. That's coming up on TSN Hockey Analytics. 
get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back and rolling here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Leafs are done. Second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Keep on going. I'm Andy McNamara. We are delivered by Domino's. Go get yourself unlimited. You have to order a minimum of two, but unlimited medium two-topping pizzas for $7.99. You can get 20 of these things if you want. Marbled cookie brownie for dessert. Check out all the great deals at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Give us a follow on Twitter at AndyMC81. Join the conversation on Twitch, twitch.tv slash AndyMacLive. And we're going to have Fantasy Talk coming up with James Harding in just a moment. But, folks... If you haven't tried Station Cold Brew Coffee, I'm telling you, you are missing out. you got to try this. Local Toronto-based company, Station Cold Brew, they're the, quote, craft beer of coffee. Only natural, organic ingredients are used. Flavors like mocha, chicory, vanilla, coconut. Get, just give them a good shake, pour them out, delicious, creamy coffee. You don't need to add anything to it. They've replaced energy drinks for me. So you, you get the caffeine, wakes me up, but you don't get the sugar crash. So they're in major grocery chains across Canada, or you can order online, stationcoldbrew.com. They have some cool smoothie and coffee cocktail recipes on their site too, so check it out. You're going to love it. stationcoldbrew.com, stationcoldbrew.com. Let's get to the Maple Leafs and Mike Babcock. Those post-game, we were all, all had the fallout of Game 7, right? We're all feeling bad, and it's okay, what's Babcock going to say? What's Dubas going to say? And, well, Mike Babcock spoke on what he could have done to get a better result in that first-round series. It's interesting. There's 23 coaches sitting at home today thinking they should have done something different. You know, I, I thought we really prepared. We knew we were playing. We really prepared. Uh, we started the series they adjusted, we adjusted back, they adjusted, we adjusted back. When I look back at the series, game two and game six for us were our, our weakest games. Game six, we started so well, and then we froze there for about 30 minutes in the middle. You can look at game seven all you want, uh, but that one there, to me, was a slipped opportunity. Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's a slipped opportunity, um, uh, obviously, right? And when... When you hear Mike Babcock, I just got the overall feeling from that was I didn't do anything wrong. I passed the buck. And maybe he feels he didn't. But you still have to take some of it, and I heard none of that. Whereas we, we flip it, and you're Kyle Dubas saying, taking a lot of responsibility, and when he was asked about, hey, about job security for Babcock and then even for himself, he answered the question that really, hey, after this result, no one's job is guaranteed. You know, Shani has to decide on 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 me first and do an evaluation of of me, uh, which I think any organization would be would be uh, best to do. And then once that's done, we evaluate everybody. And that's, we we could win the Stanley Cup, and it would be the same discussion of evaluating where we're at and are we content and are we moving in the right direction. So, I think with with how fluid the situation is, I wouldn't I wouldn't give any guarantee to anybody in our whole organization, starting with with me. And um, you know, we'll we'll do what we think is is best, and and we'll. Let you know when we when we know, but that's my expectation. What's interesting is for Kyle Dubas, his answers are always very calculated, and he he knew this question was coming. So I I wonder if we should read anything into this, whether it's just it's just fluff, or if he really feels, hey, you know what, um, things might need to change at some level, and maybe sideways glance at the coaching staff, maybe not even for Babcock. What about DJ Smith, who is in charge of special teams? 
penalty kill sucked. Let's be honest. Maybe you got to start making a change there. And would Babcock be okay with some assistant changes maybe? Or, or being more flexible in his philosophy? Certainly has not pointed into that direction. Now, we get back to Mike Babcock here. And he spoke about the pressure of not making the second round for three years in a row with the Maple Leafs. We think we're going in the right direction. We still got to add depth to our lineup. Part of that is us developing more depth. Part of it is our scouts finding more people and us signing more people. We need more, and we just keep working away at it because, like I said to you, there's 23 teams sitting at home, uh, eight teams, and what we've seen is the league is very tight, and there's lots of disappointment. But your job is to knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door, and eventually they open the door. We're in a much better situation than we've been in any year prior to this. Well, who does that throw, throw under the bus? Kyle Dubas, right? He says we need more. We need more pieces. Well, well, Mike, you're paying Austin Matthews a lot of money. You're paying William Nylander a lot of money. Oh, yeah, Mitch Marner's going to get paid. So where's this money to get these adjustments, to get these extra pieces in? Again, that is passing the buck. Hey, Mike, maybe you got to coach better. Maybe in the final couple minutes of Game 7, you put guys who can score on the ice, like your high-paid guys. How about that? Maybe that's an angle you go towards. In any case, we'll finish up on this point here uh, with Kyle Dubas. Speaking of Marner and the payday, uh, Kyle Dubas spoke about how important it, was, it is going to be to get Marner's deal done before July 1. Well, I think it's imperative for all the other facets of our team. So with Mitch, as I've said, is priority one. So without an answer on Mitch, uh, we're, we're going to kind of be in a, in a stalemate, right? So um, it, it is a it is a top priority because we're not going to jump around and, and and chew up our cap space that we may need for Mitch by with fringe signings either. This is the tricky part. The Maple Leafs are running into Chicago, Chicago Blackhawks trouble with signing their big stars, but without the Stanley Cups, right? Now, if you're a Blackhawks fan, I'm sure would you like to keep winning? All right, you got some rings though, so that that kind of that can satisfy you for a while, and then you can figure things out. Maple Leafs are getting into the situation where you're running into cap trouble after Marner's going to be signed without any jewelry. So that's, that's going to be the problem. That's going to be the issue with how they try to build this roster to Mike Babcock's point of what he, quote, needs with this other money coming in. At some point, somebody's got to go. And if it's me, I'm thinking if William Nylander gets off to a real good start, you look to package him next year and get him out. Because as far as a, a real one-dimensional player, I can find those compared to, let's say, a Matthews or a Marner, and maybe he could be packaged for a defenseman. That's, that's going to be a bigger picture conversation. We're going to step aside and wrap up the show with some fantasy hockey talk. James Harding from NHL.com when we come back on TSN Hockey Analytics. If you're hungry, check out this great deal from Domino's. Unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. That's right, as many pizzas as you want with a minimum purchase of two pizzas. So stock up, dig in, and feed that hunger with unlimited two-topping medium pizzas. Perfect for the big game, a busy night with the family, or just because. Order online today at dominoes.ca and add on some great side dishes and dessert. That's dominoes.ca. the meaning behind the numbers and more this is tsn hockey analytics on tsn 1050 the voice of hockey back 
to wrap things up on TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050 Toronto, TSN1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Don't miss an episode there. And you can also make sure you're watching live, following along on Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash Live. And we are delivered by Domino's. Go get yourself a large four-topping pizza this weekend, folks. Just $12.99. The side dishes, the cheesy bread, the boneless chicken, the marbled cookie brownie for dessert. All great deals. Carry out delivery, whatever you need. Make it an easy weekend. Make it a Domino's weekend. Go to dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Let's welcome in now my guy from NHL.com. Does a great, great work there. Writing fantasy hockey tips and tricks. And hey, the playoffs are rolling around. We're going to get right into it with James Harding from NHL.com. So James, let's get right into it with stock up, stock down. And you're looking from the fantasy side so far in these playoffs and moving forward. Your first stock up, Charlie Coyle. Yeah, you know, when you look at what he did during the regular season after the trade, from Minnesota, only six points in 21 games with the Bruins in eight playoff games in uh, the the postseason. He has six points, five goals, and and one assist. So he's already matched his production from the regular season that he had to the trade. So I really like where Coyle is right now. He seems to be playing with uh, our present. He's much more comfortable, and it seems just he's rising to the occasion. As we see, we always see every year some of these fringe guys who somebody just steps up in the playoffs and starts some of the slack that they didn't in the regular season on top of getting the performance from the big guns in Boston. Pasternak's played well. Bergeron's played well. A guy like Marcus Johansson, who who was hurt for a, a while after the Bruins acquired him as well, starting to step up, but I really like where Charlie Coyle is playing right now. Two goals in game one on Thursday and like a six points and 14 shots on goal in eight playoff games right now. I really like where Charlie Coyle is uh, stepping up in the Bruins lineup. Excellent. So that's, yeah, Charlie Coyle number one. Now Matt Zuccarella is your other stock up for fantasy. Yeah, and it was really unfortunate what happened to him after being acquired from Dallas at the trade deadline, gets hurt, had been having a great game. Uh, They had scored a goal in that game already, and then gets hurt, misses pretty much the entire rest of the regular season, comes back right at the end, but just in time to get into the lineup for their round one victory against the Nashville Predators. He had an assist and one shot on goal in their game on Thursday night against St. Louis. Uh, three goals, one assist, and 12 shots on goal in the playoffs so far. He is skating in their top six with uh, center Rupe Hintz and forward uh, Jason Dickinson, but he is also playing uh, major power play time on their their top unit there uh, with some of their bigger guns, Sagan, Ben, Radulov. So uh, Zuccarello, uh, a well-known playoff performer from his time with the New York Rangers, uh, he's played in the Stanley Cup final before. He's played in Eastern Conference finals before. So he has a lot of, uh, of playoff experience and a good pedigree to bring to that team. The underrated performer the rest of the way, depending on how far uh, Dallas can go. And him, like Coyle, are going to be some of those guys in fantasy who are going to be more of the mid-range guys, a little above 
kind of the value and sleeper guys, but definitely not those high-end guys where if you're, you know, looking to fill out your lineup, uh, guys like these are, are the perfect ones to be targeting right now. Now, those are the stock up. The stock down, James, you got William Nylander to start it, and I want to look a little bit bigger picture because obviously disappointing and really a disappointing year. Never got back on track, which is the unfortunate part when you hold out. So the, the stock down is obvious for the, the playoff. What's your feel into next season for William Nylander? Like if you're going in and kind of trying to pre-plan your next year's NHL draft, are you bullish on Nylander bouncing back? But I have to, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, when we got to the playoffs, yeah, and breakup day the other day when he was talking in the media, he said about so long, probably hurt him coming back and really getting into a groove. But he did play for half a season, yeah. and we saw the kind of numbers that he put up, and he never really got into a groove. And then in the playoffs, that continued. Only three points in seven games against the Bruins. Um, you know, this is a guy who for his first two years in the league, really kind of, you know, took over, and which is what the contract that he got midway through the year from the Maple Leafs. So, you know, when you look at the level of production that he had put up and you look at the level of production he put up when he came in this year, it's very, very uh, disconcerting uh, from a fantasy perspective because you really don't know which guy you're going to get. If this is more just uh, something that's in his head, and an off-season of, you know, work and preparation. It's not like he wasn't working. It's not like he wasn't training and preparing. He just wasn't playing in game situations. So it's definitely something that's going to be concerning. I would still say he's a top 100 fantasy asset going into next year, but he's borderline, you know, in that range where you take him maybe like ninth, 10th, 11th round, somewhere in and around there, where going into the year, this year, had he signed and had a full camp and everything and been exposed to Marner and Matthews and Flores and all those guys uh, from the get-go, he probably would have been somewhere in about the top 60 to 70. So I see him dropping a little bit into more of the mid-range uh, rounds, and if you get him there, opportunity for him to exceed your expectations is definitely there. But I'm not going to overdraft mm. him for sure going into next season. No, I'm with you. In conversation with James Harding, fantasy expert from NHL.com on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. James, let's get into some DFS plays, because if you're out of your fantasy pool, and by God, chances chances are you, you might be if you're in your playoff pool with the lightning out, the flames out, the leaves out, still can go to DraftKings.com, still can do DFS plays. So when you're looking at this upcoming weekend, and maybe even just overall when it comes to these series, who's a, a DFS value guy that you're looking at when you're trying to slot into your DraftKings lineup, maybe a little bit of a value or a sleeper? Yeah, and I'm looking at Devon Taves from the New York Islanders, the rookie defenseman there. Uh, when you look at what he did in that first-round playoff against the Pittsburgh Penguins, I mean, it was just a clinic that the Islanders put on against, um, you know, probably a team that everybody going into every season uh, expects the Penguins maybe to be one of teams in the NHL with the way that roster is constituted. But when you look at what guys like Taves and, and Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellich, Scott Mayfield, they did on that defensive side, shutting down the Penguins. Uh, Taves had two power play assists and 10 shots on goal in four games. He's been moved onto the Islanders' uh, top power play unit there. Um, so he, he's a phenomenal skater. 
very, very quick on his feet, uh, moves well, passes the puck well, controls it uh, on those zone entries and zone exits. So, you know, when you look at everything that Taves is doing and the expanded role as a rookie that he's getting, uh, I, I really like Devon Taves as a, uh, a value play for DFS lineups, and especially when you consider that versus Pittsburgh, the Islanders were able to shut them down a little bit by slowing them down. Carolina is going to be a little bit tougher of a team to slow down. The Islanders may have to play a little bit more of a speed game to keep up with Carolina and kind of keep them in check. So with that said, I like a guy like Taves because he is one of those defenders on the Islanders who is the speed element defender, uh, and he has a lot of offensive upside. So um, Devon Taves, I would say, uh, on defense would be a great DFS guy to keep your eye on for the time that the Islanders are in the playoffs. I like that. And James, uh, finally, quickly here, your playoff fantasy MVP to date. And it's it's an interesting question with all these surprises and, and, and upsets coming out of the first round. It is, but I think that you just have to go with the guy who had the best first round, and that was Mark Stone from the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, six goals, six assists. When you factor in the fa- uh, that he's playing Patrick at even strength, he's running the point on their first power play unit. As, uh, he was the best player in the NHL throughout the first round of the playoffs. Um, that was probably arguably the best line in all of the playoffs through the first round. Uh, and so when you factor all of that in, he's definitely the playoff MVP through the first round. And then going into next year, Stone, as long as he remains healthy, as long as Petretti and Stassi remain healthy, that will be probably one of the best five or six lines going into next year. And Stone has moved himself up into that top 50, top 60 overall fantasy impact player going into next season. Um, so for fantasy MVP that for the smart stone, a lot to move himself from being a firmly top hundred fantasy player to a borderline, probably about top 40, top 50 going into next year. Very good. My friend, great information as always. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks James. Sounds like, sounds like a plan, Andy. Yeah, let's do it. There he goes, James Harding from NHL.com on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey. Great fantasy info there, and especially on William Nylander projecting it to next year's fantasy hockey team or league that you might be in. So that'll do it, folks. For producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. We'll be back next week for another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics, delivered by Domino's right here on TSN 1050.